There is something inside of you that wants to find the thing that you were made to do. Become confident of it. It'll change your perception of your future. Do you have the courage to think something beyond where you are? My calling will find me. Whatever your pursuit, you can succeed as unto the Lord. Do you want to be a good parent or a grandparent? You can thrive at that. Are you a business owner or an employee? You can be successful there. If you're a salesperson, a student, a retiree, God can help you prosper. And whatever the Lord has called us to do, he expects us to do well at it. Amen. Whatever we do. We do it as under the Lord, the Bible says. Most of all, we should be living the abundant life Jesus promised us. So let's look at our text, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, stop right there. That's as far as our sermon's going this morning. (laughs) Pastor's preaching a whole sermon on a half a verse. But remember, context is important. So before we can study the call of Isaiah, it starts off in the year that King Uzziah died. Who's Uzziah? Another name I've never baby dedicated before is Uzziah. And so we need to understand who King Uzziah was before we can fully understand Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. And so let's look at a little bit that describes King Uzziah. 2 Chronicles 26 verse 3. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. Now let's drop down to verse 4. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. Verse 5, he sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So we see some characteristics and qualities of King Uzziah that brought success in his life. These are the secrets of Uzziah's success. Now kings were often known to have a personal name and a royal name. You know, like you have your real name and your stage name or your rapper name. Run JML. That's my, you know. And so Uzziah was his royal name, but his personal name was Azariah. So they're interchangeable. It's the same person. And he's mentioned in 2 Kings 15 that way. Now, King Uzziah was wildly successful in every pursuit and endeavor he set to accomplish. He was victorious militarily. He made his nation prosperous economically. He helped Judah boom industrially. He was highly productive agriculturally. His country was very lucrative commercially. And he was renowned famously. So whatever L-Y you want to add to it, God can do that for us as well. So here are his secrets. First of all, number one, God defines success. We have to establish this right at the beginning. How many of you know that the world's definition of success and God's definitions of success are in many ways different? Some are diametrically opposed. So we need to remember whenever we speak of success... We're not speaking in a worldly mindset, fame, fortune, and all that that people pursue, but we're talking about God's definition of success. How many of you know that we can be successful and not be famous? We can be successful unto the Lord and and not be extremely wealthy. We We can be 
obedient to the Lord and part of his plan and his mission, no matter where we are, what status of life or society. And so we need to define this word success because it's used at least 65 times in the Old Testament alone. And so let's look at this word, salech, in the Hebrew, means to push forward, to rush, to break out, to prosper, to make progress, to come mightily, to advance, to press through, to come to maturity. How many know the Lord wants us to push forward and press through? Whatever we're facing, whatever obstacle, whatever difficulty, whatever problem, he wants us to push forward and press through. Uh, I've told you before, one of these days I'm going to preach a sermon series on through, because God takes us through, not around, not over, not under, he takes us through things. But those things that he takes us through, he wants us to break out of our problems and break through. We are to make progress in our Christian journey, and God expects us to advance and prosper from wherever we are both financially, material, or whatever it may be, spiritually especially, God can bless us. And all of those things come from the Lord, the blessings of the Lord. We are to come to maturity in our spiritual growth. So we see that God defines success very differently than the world does. And so we see how God defines success in Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Same Hebrew word as our text. You see, we prosper when we don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. We won't prosper if we stand in the way of sinners and follow their path. And we must not sit in the seat of mockers. What we are to do is to meditate and delight ourselves in God's word. Amen? Amen? You want any kind of progress in your life, any kind of growth, any kind of maturity, any kind of success, you got to be in the word of God. It has to be part of your daily food, your spiritual nourishment. And so that's what brings us into fullness, is to meditate on God's word. It says the same in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Before they were ready to go into the promised land, this was the promise. They were going to finally get to this land flowing with milk and honey. But before they went in there, they needed to hear this. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Same Hebrew word. We see how important the word of God is to our life. It's the power of God's word that will bring us to success, however it is defined. And the second secret to Uzziah's success is he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And that's my second point. Do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. We have to do the right thing. We can't expect good results unless we're doing the right things. However, we live in a time when people do the wrong thing and call it the right thing. Isn't that true? Everything's upside down. So confusing, so perplexing. But that's the ploy of the enemy is to confuse. So people will not know what right and wrong is. That's why we need God's word. Because he has defined what is right and what is wrong. 
And it's not antiquated. It applies for today. And so the world intentionally, Satan intentionally attacks the truth. So people won't know what's right. They won't know what's true. And if people don't know what's true, they can't trust anything. And so we live in that time. And our culture has redefined what is right and what is wrong, but God's word remains true. We have become like the nation of Israel during the book of Judges. Look at Judges 21-25 in the New Living Translation. In those days, Israel had no king or no leader. And all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. As long as it's true for you, then it must be true. But if it's true for you and it's not true for someone else, how can it be true for you? You can't be diametrically imposed and both be right. We don't subjectively define what is right and wrong. This is what's so important. When people just define it for themselves, well, you know, it's right for me to kill you. It just feels right. Well, guess what? It's not right. It's still wrong. Truth is not subjective. It's not up to each person's interpretation. God has already interpreted truth. He's already presented truth in what is right and what is wrong. God has objectively defined the difference between right and wrong. Because King Solomon sinned, God divided his kingdom after his death with Judah to the south and Israel to the north. And Jeroboam was chosen by God to be the first king of the northern kingdom. And God promised him success if he would do what's right in God's eyes. Look at 1 Kings eleven thirty eight. God is speaking to Jeroboam. If you do whatever I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and commands... As David, my servant, did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. What a gift from God. What a promise. If you'll just do what is right, I will, I will make you into a dynasty. But guess what? He didn't do what was right. None of the kings of Israel did what was right of the northern kingdom. And so he led the nation into terrible idolatry. But Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And we also see that he did what was right just as his father Amaziah had done. My third point is this. Make it generational. For a time, Uzziah's father did what was right. And though he started well, he did not finish well. It happened to a lot of people in the Bible. Started well, but didn't finish well. I mean, God wants, wants you to finish well. It's all about how we finish, not how we start. It's about how we finish. And unfortunately, Uzziah's father started off good, but then he lost sight of what God had called him to be. And in the same way, the same thing would happen to Uzziah. Uzziah would start out great, but as we'll see next week, he didn't finish so well. We need to realize that our lives are not just about us. It's about future generations. And the, the reality is we pass things down generationally. And some of those things are not so good. But the power and the blood of Jesus Christ can break that generational curse. Amen? Amen? You do not have to pass on to your children what was passed on to you. You do not have to pass on to your grandchildren what was passed on to you. You don't have to pass those things on. Because of Jesus Christ, you are free and delivered. And you can live a new life and stop that generational curse. Whatever it may be, whatever addiction, whatever behavior, whatever mindset, 
That needs to stop. We, you know, and some, it, sometimes it's not the biggies. How about, you know, we worry and now our children worry and our grandchildren worry. We, gotta, we, gotta, we shouldn't pass that on either. Remember, this is generational. It's not just about us. And I'm telling you what, I, I see that more and more having grandchildren. I thought the pressure was on having children. Now I've got these grandkids that are so adorable. Look like their grandpa. <laughs> on their father's side. And that's, the, that's what I set before me. I may, may, I may make mistakes along the way, and we all do, right? But can we determine we're going to finish well? No matter how we started and stumbled and stopped and turned around and went back and came forward, we're going to finish well. That's the most successful thing we can do is finish this life loving Jesus, serving Jesus. That's all we want. We don't need wealth and fame and all the other trappings of the world. We just want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So we're not just doing all this for ourselves. We are to pass this down to future generations. Look at Psalm 71, 17. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to who are all to come. Let me tell you, those of you who are older than me, you can pass that on. You have a legacy you have a rich history. You've seen the move of God in your time. And I ask you to pray for another move of God for this time, for our young people, for our children, for our grandchildren. You have had great moves of God. You've experienced them. Then stir the fire so it will begin to inflame the hearts of this generation. Our kids need a revival. They need to see the Holy Spirit move in their day, not just in our day. I went through the charismatic renewal. I was just a kid at the time, but I remember it distinctly. Wow, it was sometimes weird, got to be honest with you. We're trying to baptize people in the Holy Spirit, and we tell them to say, who stole my Honda? Say that real fast. Who stole my Honda? And you'll, they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was like God was saying, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, but I'll do it anyway. Anybody remember some of those times? Wow. Leg lengthening, all interesting stuff during the charismatic renewal. But that's where a woman's glow was birthed and, and full gospel men's fellowship. And wow, revival took place. Now, each revival looks different because God knows we try to imitate things. We try to manufacture them. So he, he heals differently, different ways, and he moves in different ways. And so let's pray for the next generation Let's not make it harder for them. Let's, let's make it easy for them to come into the house of the Lord. They may be all tatted up and, and pierced up, and it doesn't matter. They're a child and daughter of God, and they're welcome here because God loves all of us. And so I, I know that God has called us to this, to the next generation. We need to reach young families. We need to reach the youth and the children. This is so critical that we of this generation inspire the next generation. Well, I didn't plan any of that. I hope it was God. Or it was the pizza I had last night. I don't know. 
We can create success for our kids and grandkids by how we live. Doesn't mean we're perfect. In fact, that's a learning ex experience. When we fail, we can explain it to our children that God's grace is sufficient, that we make mistakes, but God forgives our mistakes because they're gonna make mistakes too. And the most important thing they need to learn is the grace of God. Because the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. The grace of God doesn't just forgive our sins, it helps us overcome them. So grace, I'm a grace preacher when it comes to that. We need God's grace. Another step of success for Uzziah was he sought the Lord, he sought God during the days of Zechariah. Fourth thing you need to do if you want to succeed at anything, seek the Lord. So many times in the Bible we are commanded and counseled to seek the Lord. And there are certain urgent times when we are to be more diligent and mindful about it. And here's why. Look at Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Now we know God is everywhere at one time. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But there are times when the manifest presence of the Lord comes near, comes close. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you experience those Holy Ghost moments when God has come near. You know that God is in this house. I hear that on Friday night in the women's fellowship, God was in the house. God was in the house. And so when, when we sense God coming near, we seek him even harder. Because we need to seek him while he may be found. There are times when God is especially close. If we'll only recognize it. If we'll only hunger for it. And Paul said the same thing that Isaiah did. Look at Acts 17, 26. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. This scripture is always meaningful to me because I've, and I've shared this before, but there are new people here since I've shared this. But this was during a time when Julian and I lost a baby. She miscarried during her second trimester. And we were devastated, and she was, had emergency surgery, and I almost lost her and the baby. And I came home to an empty house thinking, what just happened? My whole world's been turned upside. Almost, I lost a child, and I almost lost my wife. And I felt extremely vulnerable all by myself. Y'all, we're just pastors. We're just like you. And we go through similar things. And I didn't know what to do, but I felt I was, I was on a edge of a cliff. I felt like this is a defining moment in my faith. You know when Job lost everything and he, and he fell down and worshipped? I mean, that's not the response usually would happen. And so I opened my Bible. <laughs> it's always a good thing when you're at, a, when you're at the edge of a cliff. Open your Bible. And God gave me this scripture. This is the next reading in my devotions. And what it told me is that God's going to work it all out. 
And God has a purpose. But my responsibility is not to question him or doubt him. It's my responsibility to seek him. Especially when I'm on the edge of a cliff, when I don't understand. That's the time when we don't pull away from God. That's exactly what Satan's trying to do. He's trying to separate you from God's people. He's trying to separate you from the power of God and the spirit of God. But what we need to do is press in in that moment. Because God is coming near in your tragedy, in your crisis. God is coming near you. But you got to reach out. you got to reach out. It's like the train of his robe, as we're going to see in Isaiah, fills the temple. Man, that's when you want to grab a hold of the robe of Jesus, like the woman did. And so, this has forever comforted me. We'll see our baby in heaven. But at that moment, I began to pray and worship. It wasn't easy, it didn't feel natural, but I know that was a defining moment in my faith. God did this so I would seek him and so I would reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from me. Success in the kingdom of God requires that we seek the Lord. We must ask, seek, and knock if we're going to find the will of God. God has established it this way. Rarely is the first prayer answered, right? That's just the beginning. And I've often seen prayer as the waves of the ocean washing up on the shore. And little by little, it removes that sand. Little by little, each wave takes a little sand with it. And each prayer gets us a little closer to the answer. And so God has established a principle that we have to ask and keep on asking. We have to seek and keep on seeking. And we have to knock on doors and keep on knocking until the right one opens. And God has established this. This is how we find the will of God. We have to pursue it. We have to seek the Lord while he may be found. And the process doesn't change God. It changes us. You know, there are times I've been asking for something and asking and asking, and finally I realize, what are you asking for that for? That's not what you want. That's not what you need. And so sometimes I'm asking for something that God's not going to give me out of my own protection. And, it's in the, and that's why we ask and seek and knock. It prepares us to receive whatever he has for us. So, sometimes we don't receive because we're not ready. We're not ready for the promise to be fulfilled. Israel was not ready just leaving Egypt to go right into the promised land. Do you see how ornery those people were? Can you imagine if God delivered them out of Egypt and then said, here, go in the promised land? They were not even ready. Now, God didn't expect them to have to wait 40 years. That was their problem. But God did take them through a journey to prepare them for the promise. God's preparing you for the promise. Okay, you're asking, you're seeking, you're praying. I want to to tell you, God's preparing you for the promise. And it may not be what we expect, but we know God knows best. Amen? Always. And so when our Father says no, we yield. Thy will be done. Another cause of Uzziah's success was, number five, he was, he was being instructed by Zechariah. Number five, be willing to receive instruction. This is not the same Zechariah as the book of Zechariah. Two different dudes. 
This Zechariah was a mentor to the young teenager Uzziah. Uzziah became king at 16. Can you imagine how cool that must have been? I can't imagine at 16 me being a king of anything. I may have thought I was. But this happens sometimes. Even Josiah became a king at eight years old. And so they always had advisors because an eight-year-old doesn't quite know how to rule a nation. And maybe not even a 60-year-old, not even a 60-year-old may not know how to. So they, they always had advisors, especially for the young kings. And bless God, Uzziah had a great teacher. I'm telling you what, you're blessed when you have a great mentor in your life. And everyone needs a mentor in their life. The promise keeper's principle is that every person needs a, a Paul that's over them that speaks into their life. And every person needs a Timothy, a young man that we're, or a young person that we're pouring our life into. And everyone needs a Barnabas, someone at our level. We need three mentors in our life like that. And Uzziah had one in Zechariah. Do we know it all? We, we act like it sometimes. <laughs> Are we willing to receive instruction even on things we think we already know? I want to tell you a true story. There was a man who was very successful in business. And he was at a gathering and the conversation turned toward a subject on which he was truly an expert. And though he was well-versed and highly knowledgeable on the topic, he remained silent and listened intently and never spoke up. On the drive home, his wife asked him, why didn't you speak up on a subject you know so well? You know it's so much better than those people. He said, I already know what I know. I wanted to find out if there's something I don't know so I can learn even more. Now, isn't that amazing? Sometimes we get to the expert level, which means we don't have to listen to nobody. I know that's not good grammar, but it just sounds right. I ain't going to listen to nobody. That's even worse grammar. How many know, no matter how much you know, you don't know it all? Our knowledge is limited, and that comes also with God. We only know in part, 1 Corinthians says, we only know a little bit, but someday we'll know it all. Though he knew more than anyone else there and could have schooled them, he was still teachable. Now that's, that can be tough. It, it's, it can be tough to be teachable when you think you know what you're doing. But the reality is, we can learn something from anyone if we have the right heart. Now, there's also a responsibility on the teacher, not just the student. There is a responsibility on the teacher. If God is asking you to be a mentor or to speak in someone's life, you've got a responsibility. Here it is, Proverbs 16, 20. Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. That's for the student. Here's for the teacher, verse 21. The wise in heart are called discerning, and pleasant words promote instruction. If we are teachable and willing to learn from others, we will be successful, but the teacher has to always remember to use 
pleasant words. That word actually means sweet in the Hebrew. All, and those of us who are doing the teaching, we must remember that's what promotes instruction, not condescending and demeaning words, right? If we want to be a mentor, then we build up. We speak words that build up. We speak the truth in love. We use pleasant words to promote instruction. Now, when I was in the oil business, pipe valves and fittings, I had never, I didn't know what any of those were. And so I had to learn. I mean, I was 50 years old and I had to learn a whole new career in like 30 days. And so I didn't know the difference between a carbon steel hammer union and a stainless steel blind flange. But I do now. I'm amazed how much I learned in a short time. I thought, you know, at, at 50, you can't teach an old dog new tricks no more. Well, this old dog learned a few tricks. But the, re, the way I learned is I had to humble myself and ask those who knew what I didn't know. And one person in particular who had been in the business for decades was always willing to teach me pleasant words of instruction. He didn't make fun of me. He didn't make me feel stupid. He would just teach me. I probably drove him crazy with so many questions because there are thousands of pieces of material, different types of steel and metal. But I was so grateful for his kindness. He never made me feel stupid. And he taught me so much about the business. And you know what's awesome? That person now attends this church. He taught me the PVF business, and now I get to teach him the things of God. But I would have never made it without that man. I'm eternally grateful, and I've told him time and time again. And so if you're the student, be teachable. If you're the teacher, be kind. Let your words be sweet. Another characteristic of Uzziah's success was Number six, fear God. He sought God during the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God. The greatest thing you can learn is the fear of God. And we need to learn it because people don't understand it. And yet it's all through the Bible. We're to fear God. It's the beginning of wisdom. Fear God. It's in Old and New Testament that we are to fear the Lord. Jesus said, fear the Lord. And so... Yet we don't understand because fear is a negative emotion most times. In fact, God has not given us a spirit of fear, right? And so we're confused. If we're to fear God and God has not given us a spirit of fear, how does that work? Well, there's two applications of the same word. There is a fear that speaks of reverence and awe and worship. And then there's a fear that is self-destructive and harmful. Let me give you the long definition here. If you don't get this, it's on the sermon notes on the app. A little plug for the church app. But it's a great definition of the fear of the Lord. Fear of God is from Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. So it's from someone smarter than me. Fear of God also lies at the heart of successful living in the world. Successful living right there. 
Wisdom literature makes it clear that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A fear equated with the knowledge of the Holy One. To fear God is to know Him. And to know Him is to fear Him. Such healthy fear enables one to praise God. To enjoy benefits and blessings at His hand. To rest in peace and security. And to experience length of days. But fear of God also produces fear of wrath and judgment in those who do not know Him or refuse to serve Him. Those who should really fear the Lord are those who reject the Lord. Thus, there are thus two sides of the fear of the Lord. That which produces awe, reverence, and obedience. And that which causes one to cower in dread and terror in anticipation of his displeasure. In the book of Revelation, it'll say people will be crying for mountains to fall on top of them. Finally, we must remember this. Number seven, God gives success. Any success you have in your life, God gave it to you. That is a fact. Any good thing, any good gift came from the Lord. And so we need to understand that it's not our success. God is the one that allowed it and brought it. He gave us the ability. Look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17. Remember, they're right about to go into the promised land, lived in houses they didn't build, reap from vineyards they didn't plant. They were ready to go into the promise, and God says this. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. The Lord is the one who brings our success in life. He blesses the work of our hands. I think that's a great way to start your day on your job. Lord, bless the work of my hands. Bless the, may your hands bless the work of my hands. And just see what God can do through your life, in your job, at school, with your family, whatever it may be. If we ask the Lord to bless the work of our hands, then he will give the success. The sad reality is that Uzziah would forget this very thing. All he accomplished. And you read through 2 Chronicles 26. It's amazing what this guy accomplished. Incredible. He, he loved the soil too, so he was, a, he was a farmer at heart. But it's amazing what this guy accomplished. And then something happened. He crossed over from giving God glory to giving himself glory. And it's a dangerous process that we'll talk about next Sunday. God defines success, not the world. I know there are people that when we get to heaven will be so greatly rewarded and we never even knew them or knew what they did. That intercessor that prays and no one sees it, no one knows it. That person, I know of a person in our church that calls on people all on their own, prays with them. How you know God sees that? And that's success. So God defines it, not us. We need to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Make it generational. 
Seek the Lord, be willing to receive instruction, fear God, and always remember, God gives success. Thank you for joining us today. Our worship service begins at 1030 every Sunday. You can join us in person or online. We broadcast live on both Facebook and YouTube. We would love for you to join us and be our guest this Sunday. Our address is 4901 California Avenue, Bakersfield, California. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.